Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway. This morning is the second week of Advent, and Ian gave us the assignment for this month to teach on our favorite Christmas passage. So this morning, you guys get John one, or John chapter one: the light shines in the darkness. So we're going to dig into that. But first. We need to talk about Panera Bread. So when I was in seminary, I would often go to Panera Bread in Princeton in the evenings to do my work. I was a broke grad student, so you know you could get coffee for two dollars, and it was bottomless coffee, and it was mediocre coffee, but you know you could sit there for hours and hours, and no one would really give you any flack. So it was a good place to go if you had to do a big project. And one night in December, I had to do a really big paper, so I went there, and I spent about four hours in Panera Bread. And on that night, Panera was playing the secular Christmas playlist. You guys know what I mean by that? So, like, no Hark the Herald, right? No Silent Night, no Joy to the World. Instead, you get four hours of Mariah Carey, of Wham. Yeah, yeah. So, this is Christmas. You know, you're just going to run through them all, right, over and over again. And if you sit there for four hours, you're going to hear the same ones over and over and over again. And I was kind of okay with this until the fourth time that evening I got to my least favorite secular Christmas song. You all know this one. With kids jingle belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer, it's most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing, yes, that's a verb, and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near, because it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the half-happiest season of all, apparently. I could keep going. <laughs> but after, and after hearing this song for the fourth time, and that stupid chorus probably for the 28th time, right, I said as loudly as I could in my head, no, Andy Williams, it is not. <laughs> it is not the most wonderful time of the year. The reason we celebrate Christmas in December is not because it's super nice, right? Just object lesson number one, look out the window. The reason we celebrate Christmas in December is because it's the worst time of the year. It's when the days are shortest and still getting shorter. It's when the night is strongest and still getting longer. It's when everything is dead and nowhere close to growing again. December is the month when it feels like the darkness will win, both literally and proverbially. This is when the good news of God needs to show up. Amen? Amen. And Christmas isn't new in this. People have always felt this need to have big celebrations this time of year. As long as we have any sort of human history, we know that this was a time when people gathered to have celebrations. For example, in ancient Rome, does anybody know what they celebrated? Well, now it's on the screen. <laughs> Saturnalia. Yeah, they had a big, huge party, and they had big, huge feasts, and there was gift-giving and communal singing and the lighting of candles. There also is this weird tradition in Saturnalia that oftentimes they switch social roles. Like kings and masters of the house would have to be servants and slaves for the day. So if you think about that, in his name all oppression shall cease, like, 
looking forward to that time. It was one day when the world of oppression was undone. In Northern Europe, do you know what they celebrated? Anybody? Yule. A word that made it into modern English as a synonym for Christmas, right? But Yule is a celebration that predates Christmas that goes back into early history in Northern Europe as long as we know about. And at Yule, people hung up garlands. They decorated evergreens. That's where we get the Christmas tree tradition. They lit candles and they had huge bonfires. And as you can imagine, if you live in Norway in the days before electric lights, during this time of year, I looked it up, the sun sets at 3.18 p.m. in Oslo, Norway uh, today, so that's fun. You need a hope that the world wasn't dead for good, right? The night wouldn't fully conquer the day. You can actually deep dive into this if you want to get past Saturnalia and Yule. In ancient Persia, they celebrated something called Yalda Night. They would read sacred poetry and specifically eat red foods, like watermelon and pomegranates. And the red is symbolic of the dawn, right? That the light would come back, that the sun wasn't dead, that even in the midst of the darkness, the light would still come. So there we have our, our green, new life, and our red symbolizing the, the dawn, the new life. In ancient Russia, they celebrated something called Kolyana. There it is which involved groups of singers going from house to house to sing carols to one another. So, does any of this sound familiar? <laughs> Hanging evergreens, lighting candles, giving gifts, singing carols. Pretty much all of our modern Christmas traditions come from pre-Christmas traditions, right? We don't have to be in denial about this. This is just true. For a lot of Christians, this has led them to believe that Christmas is bad. Maybe you've been around some of that thinking before, that it's just a thinly veiled pagan festival. Christmas wasn't actually a big part in the early church, and there's actually been many times in church history where people have tried to get rid of it, at least in its cultural form. The Puritans, you might know, aka the people that started America, um, were anti-Christmas. That's partly how they get their no-fun reputation. There you go, Kyle. You can put that up. There's the public notice banning Christmas right there. <laughs> Feasting and similar satanic practices are hereby forbidden. Now, to be fair, apparently in many places, Christmas has actually come to resemble Saturnalia more than it was like a feasting and drunkenness tradition. And if you want to really deep dive, you can look up the eggnog riot of 1826 and learn all about the history of rioting at Christmas. So, anyway... But anyway, yeah, this has been a common thought, right? That this is just, these are all just pagan traditions, so we shouldn't celebrate Christmas. For other people, typically modern secular people, the exact opposite conclusion has been made. That these overlaps lead to a different conclusion. That Christmas is just one more winter solstice festival, right? It's just one amongst many. There's nothing particularly special about it. It's just our cultural form of this thing that has always existed. It's just one overlap, like, or one mythology like any other. So celebrate Christmas if you want, or Yule, or Saturnalia. doesn't really matter. I tend to think both of these are wrong. This is just me. This is Gary's opinion. Because I think the reality is, Saturnalia is an expression of longing. 
not just that the darkness would break, but that one day all oppression would cease. And Yule is an expression of longing, right? Not just the winter would break, but that one day resurrection and new life would be the way of things, that things would be evergreen. And y'all, the night is not just this opportunity to read good poetry, right? But a longing for beauty to rule the world. And Coleada is not just for singing, but a longing for all people to be united together, for neighbors to no longer have strife towards neighbors. And Christ does not come to negate these festivals, nor does he come to reject these longings. Christ doesn't come to provide religious competition for them, nor to reject these symbols of hope. Instead, I believe Christ comes to fulfill them. Christ enters into the longing of all humanity, the longings that have existed since the dawn of time. Christ enters into the longings of every person in every place, in every culture, in every time. Christ is the fulfillment of all things. Or as our song for this morning so eloquently put it, we can put that up now. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Amen? And this might feel a little abstract, but this is what John 1 says. We can go back to John 1, our passage for this morning. In John 1, verses 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing has, was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the life of all men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this word that John uses is the word, right? Does anyone know that what that word is in Greek? The logos. The logos, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you can put it up there. Yeah, and this is a loaded word that is very difficult to translate. John didn't invent this idea, but in Greek philosophy, the Logos was more than just the word, right? It was essentially the mind of God, the outworking of God, the spirit of God. When God speaks, the Logos is the creative energy that brings it to be. So when we're saying the word, this is God speaking in Genesis 1, right? This is the word of God. When John talks about the light, we're referencing very strongly, let there be light, the first piece of creation that goes out and creates all things. So as John says, all things were made by the Logos, and without him nothing has been made that has been made, which means everyone, everywhere, all the time. The Logos is the Big Bang, right? The initial mover, the spark of life that pulsates out through the universe. There you go. All things have been created and woven together in the Logos. All of us, everything, everywhere. In him was life, and that life was the light. Let there be light of all mankind. And this is where John makes his bold claim that the Logos is Christ. That the creative energy that has created all things, that binds all things, that holds all things, is Christ. 
that everyone everywhere always has been created in the image of Christ and that all things long to return to their creator. And then John makes his wildest claim of all, that this Christ, this Logos, the mind of God itself, has chosen not to stay far off or mysterious or simply wired into all of creation, but but chooses to take on flesh and dwell among us. Or as Eugene Peterson says in this wonderful translation, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And this Logos does not enter in to rule us, to conquer us, to shame us, or even just to teach us, but to reconnect everyone, everywhere, always to who they are in God, to return Christ to Christ, to redeem all things, to fulfill the great longing from the book of Revelation. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, look, God's dwelling place, God's tabernacle, is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, look, I am making all things new. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in me tonight. Amen? And this matters because it means Jesus has come for everyone, everywhere, always, all the time. Jesus doesn't come to make us more religious or to establish his brand or to compete with other versions of religion. Jesus came to fulfill the longings of all humanity, that wherever there is darkness, the light would come. Wherever there is death, life would come. Wherever there is sorrow and doubt and alienation, hope would come. Wherever there is discord, peace would come. Wherever there is oppression, liberation would come. Jesus comes to fulfill the longing of all people, everywhere, always. So what does this mean for us? First of all, it means we go into the world neither in fear or in fighting. We don't have to be afraid to go into the yoga studio or the neo-pagan shop on Mill Street because Christ isn't in competition to those things, nor is Christ threatened by those things. Christ is the fulfillment of those things. And if indeed Christ is Lord, it doesn't mean Christ stops being Lord the second we walk into a non-Christian establishment. But the longings that underlie those places, those longings are not offensive to God. God says instead, that's exactly why I came. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in me tonight. And so when we see longing, when we see people striving, when we see people reaching out, we don't say that's wrong. We say Christ has come for that too. Clement of Alexandria, a third century church father, once said, what Moses is for the Jews, Plato is for the Greeks. 
Does that make sense? This idea of preparation, that Christ comes to fulfill these things. Or in the words of C.S. Lewis, Jesus is the myth that became fact. Christmas is not a replacement for Yule. It's the fulfillment of Yule. All the longings of Yule are met in Jesus. And this could lead us to a cockiness or an arrogance or combativeness, but I think it should lead us to realize that Christ is bigger. This is actually really powerful, that Christ isn't tribal, right? That Christ is universal. Christ is not a religious brand. Christ is the Logos that is under all of creation. Christ is not the Lord of churches and good Christian families, but the Lord of the universe. And so when we meet with our non-Christian neighbor, we are not over or against them. We are in it with them. And we stand in awe and wonder and point to the goodness of God, the love of Christ, the Logos that comes to fulfill every longing. And we get to get the joy of saying, yeah, I'm in it too. I'm with you. We are in it together. And that longing you feel, that longing is met in Christ who created your very soul. I love that the passage in Revelation twice uses the word behold, right? It's the posture of awe and curiosity and wonder and joy, not conquest. When was the last time you beheld, or whatever the past tense of behold is? When was the last time you had a posture of beholding the work of God? We don't go out to correct our neighbors, nor do we go out to separate from them. We go out to partake in the universal Christ, calling all things back to himself. Amen. And then, of course, we have to apply this to ourselves. And this is where the incarnation is truly wild, because it's this wild, crazy, cosmic, universal event that takes place in a particular time and space. Jesus isn't born in space, right? He's not born in abstract. (laughs) Right, Ollie? (laughs) You throw those doors open. Christ is born in space. Like that space right there. And so what that means is not only are the hopes and fears of all the years, the great cosmic longings of cultures and civilizations met in Christ, it means the hopes and fears of all the year, as in now, are met in thee tonight. This isn't just cosmic. It means the hopes and fears of Scotty are met in thee tonight, and of Gaines. And of Dan and of Dana and everyone in this room. I once heard a pastor say, it doesn't matter what the question is, the answer is always Jesus. And I know that's like good pastor speak, right? In some ways it's just there to kind of give you an amen. And yet I've never been able to totally get away from that sentiment. 
I haven't yet found like the longing or the question that Christ doesn't speak to in some way. Sometimes it takes some work. Sometimes it challenges us. Sometimes we need to see the fullness of the incarnation. And yet I found this to be a pretty valuable sentiment to carry with you. It doesn't matter what the question is. The answer is always Jesus. Doesn't mean that Jesus is just some magic salve that makes all the discomfort go away, nor that if you believe enough, Jesus will always give you a million dollars or whatever. It means that whatever we're longing for, whatever our hopes are, whatever our fears are, Jesus can actually meet us in that place. Whatever our hopes and fears, Jesus can fulfill them. Whatever the question is, the answer is Jesus. I met up with a pastor friend on Friday, for example, and he expressed that he was anxious that his church wasn't growing and that a few years down the road it might be unsustainable. And he was carrying that anxiety with him, but mostly as like a low simmer, right? And he actually felt really bad about it, right? He, he was kind of like, oh, I'm anxious about this, but I know I'm not supposed to be, right? Can I, anybody, anybody else ever do that? Just carry your anxieties as low simmers that you feel ashamed about? Yeah, 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 pretty normal. I've never done that. So if you, you can let me know what that's like. And with this sermon fresh in my mind, I encourage him to bring it to Jesus. That whatever the question is, the answer is always Jesus. To let Jesus meet that anxiety. And if I'm honest, I don't know what the outcome might be. Maybe Jesus will say, it's time to let go of your need for security and worldly success and find your identity on the cross. Maybe. Or maybe Jesus will say, yeah, your discontent's good. Let's get creative. Let's find some new ways to get out in the community. Or maybe Jesus will say, you're being selfish and petty. Get over it. And just go love the person in front of you. Or maybe Jesus will say, you're right. Keep giving me that longing and watch what I do. Watch and see how you will grow in the years ahead. Behold, I am making all things new. Do you see what I'm saying? What we're getting at? It's not always math, right? It's not always there's an easy Jesus answer. And that's why the incarnation is, is challenging and beautiful, because it kind of never runs out. This is what prayer is. This is the good work of prayer, of bringing your longings to God and sitting long enough to let Jesus meet them. In my experience, Christ does. That Christ doesn't scold us for our fears, but meets us in them and draws us into the kingdom of God. I think we all know that that low-level simmer you're afraid of doesn't actually do anything but steal our lives. So it's worth asking, what are your hopes and fears? Maybe they're big and meaningful and cosmic and universal. Maybe you're stressed about work tomorrow. 
would it look like to create space to let Christ meet you in them? Can you name your longings? Do you know your desires? What would it look like to let Christ meet you in that space? Like I said, I've yet to find the longing to which Jesus does not speak. They might be big cultural longings expressed in things like Yule. The longings for death to be done away with. They might be the little longings of job and marriage or home repairs or an annoying co-worker or broken relationships to family or social anxiety or even our petty fears and jealousies. Christ enters into the muck. Christ comes into the stable. Christ doesn't only speak to our quote-unquote spiritual longings. Hopes and fears of all the days, the hours, the minutes are met in thee. Doesn't matter what the question is, the answer is always Jesus. So if you take nothing else from this sermon this morning, it's this. You can go for it, Kyle. Keep going. Andy Williams is wrong. It's very important that you know this. If you get nothing else, I want you to go throughout your week knowing this. Andy Williams is wrong. It's not the most wonderful time of the year. I don't know. If you want to argue with me and tell me this is the best weather of the year, if you really like this, I'll... You do you, man. <laughs> There's obviously something beautiful about December. But there also is something dark about it and cold. The days are getting shorter. The days are already short and still getting shorter and everything is dying. Cultures pretty much everywhere have said this is a time where hope ebbs. Where life ebbs. Where darkness grows. This doesn't mean it has to be a time of wallowing. Instead, December can be an opportunity to pull out your longing and to name it. To name your hopes and fears and let Christ meet you there. To let Christmas come. To let Christ come 
into that place, to let the light shine in the darkness. People didn't celebrate Yule and Saturnalia because December was awesome, right? Because it was the most hopeless time of the year, and they needed hope. They needed evergreen to remind them that life would come back. They needed the candles to remind them that darkness wouldn't win. Christ does not reject those longings, but fulfills them. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in me tonight. This is the good news of Christmas. That into the darkness, Christ comes. So wherever you are, whatever you're hoping for, whatever you're longing for, whatever your heart desires, I invite you to let Christ meet you in that place. It doesn't matter what the question is. The answer is always Jesus. Amen? To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.